0: Hey there, this is a Wild Femme episode, and if you're new around here, Wild is definitely about our connection to nature for well-being, but it also stands for women into living their dreams, because as you may know, I believe we have to take care of ourselves if we want to really truly live this one wild life. And with me for this conversation is Dr. Nikki Cohen, and she is a doctor of physical therapy, who specializes in women's health and pelvic floor physical therapy. And in her private practice, she provides a holistic approach to healthcare care for women struggling with chronic issues. She incorporates a unique blend of traditional physical therapy techniques, craniosacral therapy, and visceral manipulation. She's the author of The Truth About Kegels, founder of The Organic PT, and creator of The Cohen Code. And Dr. Nikki aims to really educate and empower women by helping them reconnect to their body and honor all aspects of womanhood, which is why I'm so excited to have her here. So welcome, Dr. Nikki.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me, Jenny.
0: Yes, and for those who don't know you as a physical therapist for women's health and pelvic floor, or if that's what they know you as, I'm curious other than the amazing work that you do what else is it that you want to most be known for?
1: Oh, great question. Um well the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask that is I want to be known for giving women permission to be women <laughs> again. Love it. <laughs> um and whatever that looks like and and supporting women in the areas that we've been programmed or trained by society and just generation upon generation is, is not desirable, like being wild, for example. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. And I know we're going to talk today about this issue that a lot of women face or issues around this. And Really, what the the topic is, or kind of kicking it off, is the truth about Kegels and what women need to know about their pelvic floor. But it's because of how that works together with issues that might be less talked about or taboo, like incontinence or sex or bladder issues in general, things like that. So you have an awesome download, by the way, for people, which that will be in the show notes, and it's a guidebook on Truth about Kegel, so you can get a lot of what she's going to share here in that format. But there's also going to be stuff that we don't have time to go over. So make sure you get the download if this is a topic you want to dive into. But can you start by just sharing what is a Kegel? Like, what's the history of it? And am I even saying it right? Is it Kegel or Kegel?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's potato, potato. It's really whatever you want to say. We all know in the pelvic floor world what um what you're saying, whether it's Kegel or Kegel. Um, and I think I even alternate myself. So whatever um, comes out whatever comes out exactly <laughs> so yeah a kegel um is is basically the name of a contraction of the pelvic floor muscle group so for example if you had you know if you were lifting like a bag of groceries and you were bending your elbow or lifting a weight at the gym um we call that you know a bicep contraction right um and so in the pelvic floor when it contracts we can call it a pelvic floor contraction But we call it Kegel's because back in, I think it was the early 50s, there was a gynecologist named, I think it's Arnold Kegel. It's either Arthur or Arnold, and I can't remember, but it's an A. Um, And he was the first OBGYN that started studying the pelvic floor and was the first to really start to question, going, huh, I wonder what these muscles could do. And like as any good scientist, started analyzing their muscle function. And so he started to examine, um, the strength of these muscles. And if strength, and, and if we put these muscles on a general strengthening program, could that help anything for women? Um, and it mostly it was after childbirth. And what he found was, yes, there was a lot of amazing work that could come or a lot of amazing results that came from doing pelvic floor strengthening work. Um, and you know, flash forward 50 years, and now we're slowly starting to understand from an orthopedic standpoint, why pelvic floor function is important and how it plays a a real central role in core work and core stabilization. So, you know, as any good um, patriarchy would have it, the name of this exercise was named after that doctor. um, So they're now called cables.
0: Got it. So Mm -hmm. what is actually happening when someone does a kegel? So when someone does a
1: kegel, it's, it's, you're, you're squeezing, um, your holes down there. So us women, we've got three holes. We have one for pee, the urethra, one for babies and sex, we call the vagina and one for poop and gas, um, and, and sex, if you want, (laughs) um, that we call the anus and the pelvic floor, those three holes go kind of through the pelvic floor group. It's like, like a hammock, So when you contract those muscles, you're closing all three holes. So it essentially helps hold things in. So if you're at church and you have to fart, but you're not going to fart right now because you're in church, you're going to squeeze your butthole muscles or do a Kegel to hold that in. Or if you're, you know, at you're you're, you have to pee and there's a line you're going to squeeze like around your vagina to hold in your pee until you can get to the bathroom or sit on the toilet. And then you relax. The pelvic floor muscles and it lets things out when you want them to. So, essentially, contracting is to hold in bodily fluids and relaxing is to let out bodily fluids, at least on a daily basis. Right. And then, of course, there's babies and stuff that's not so daily.
0: I love how simply you put all of that. <laughs> it's just very <laughs> frank and, yeah, just in simple terms. I mean, we all get that because we're human and we've experienced that. So, That's awesome. And I'm thinking about what you were talking about with holding and tension. So uh, maybe that would be a good direction to head next because there's a big um, issue here or it's part part of this conversation with Kegels, I know, and explaining tension, relaxation, and what we might think is ideal versus not. So can you go into that a little bit with what do we need to know about muscle tension?
1: Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Yes, it's probably my most favorite topic in the world of pelvic floor physical therapy. And the reason why I started my own practice um, was because what I started to see time and time again was that women were having pelvic floor issues. Things like, um, you know, generally speaking, bladder leakage, pain with sex, pain with tampons, um, um, constipation tailbone pain, all the things that happened down there, Mm -hmm. I started to see were oftentimes, very oftentimes, highly correlated with tight pelvic floor muscles um, or muscle spasms in the pelvic floor that people were completely unaware of that they even had down there. They just knew like, yeah, it kind of hurts when I put a tampon in or yeah, it burns a little when I pee or sometimes I have to pee twice in the same hour. It doesn't come out all the way. But again, things that people just would write off because A, they're too embarrassed to go to the doctor and actually ask about it because that's what we've been you know, trained to do. Anything down there is like bad or wrong or sinful or whatever. Um, or they've been told they've been to the doctor or they've talked to their friends about it and That's just the way it is, quote unquote, because I had three babies, or that's just the way it is because, you know, whatever. And so when I started to see these patterns over and over again, and I started to treat the pelvic floor, not from a contract, harder strengthening um, perspective, which is very traditional physical therapy, right? If something's not working, you strengthen it. It seemed to be the only answer to everything. Oh, well, strengthen it. It must be weak. And what I started to see was that actually strengthening or tightening or contracting these muscles that were tight was actually making the symptoms worse. It was making their bladder pain a little more sensitive. It was making pain with sex worse. They were, you know, it was harder to poop now. And I thought, okay, well, I've got to try something different here. And when I switched gears and started training these muscles to let go, to massage them, to stretch them, to teach these women how to connect with their own pelvic floors and feel the difference between being on and kegled versus being off and super relaxed. Their whole nervous system started to shift also. So not only did the physical tension go away, which helped alleviate the pain, but all these other things started improving, like their general mood, their mm-hmm. digestion. They weren't as bloated. They were generally happier. They were sleeping better. And so I started to see, like, wow, there is such a thing as over-kegling, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I don't really think that's an actual legit word, keggling, but. And so, it just like with everything in life, there, there's a time to Kegel, and there's definitely a time to unKegel, is what I've started calling it. And people's pelvic floors can go into a Kegel involuntarily, which I found to be super interesting because you don't really notice your quad or your glute or your bicep just kind of like turning on out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And that's a testament to the way the pelvic floor muscles are innervated by the nervous system. So the nervous system basically is the electrical shock that tells a muscle what to do. And in the bicep, it's like 99.9% of the firing comes voluntarily. It's you choose to do it Mm -hmm. versus the pelvic floor. There's 30% of the pelvic floor that's controlled by the autonomic nervous system. The part of the nervous system that you don't have control over that controls blinking and digestion and your blood pressure and your saliva and all that other stuff. So again, over the years, what I started to see was yes, some of these women were over keggling, right? And holding in their bellies and squeezing their butt cheeks all the time to have a strong core and have good posture and all these other things we've been taught. But there's this whole population of women that are not doing that, that still had tight pelvic floors. And that was mostly related to what we call, what I call a sympathetic overdrive or a neural upregulation mm-hmm. where it was st- Stress at work, stress in their marriage, unresolved issues from childhood, which we all have, you know, and just the general, sometimes just the general day to day life of living in, you know, where, where I live in Southern California, it's quite a rat race from time to time. So there's just so much stimulation coming into our bodies that's triggering our nervous system that could be contributing to that upregulated um, pelvic floor, which could be related to their tailbone pain or their back pain or their bladder pain. So long story, even longer, um, that that's what I saw about the pelvic floor specifically and how over tensing these muscles can actually backfire and cause more female health issues.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting. I'm so glad you explained all that <laughs> and, like what you see as patterns. And it kind of leads into something else I was thinking, but I think you basically said already, um, why are those muscles in the pelvic floor so tight in the first place? And you started to say um, a couple examples, like because of holding our bellies in, you know, uh, posture and that belly thing is so linked to us as women wanting to appear thin or feeling self-conscious about that area. I know with a history myself of disordered eating, like that was something that I can relate to very much, you know, and feeling that way about that part of my body. So are there other reasons though, like besides posture, holding belly in, like, why else do we get so tight? And and I guess you also started to talk about the sympathetic nervous system activity and just being ramped up from all these outside inputs. But I guess, do you want to expand upon anything there in that way in terms of like, okay, we have all this stuff coming in, um, how do I notice that that is happening in my pelvic floor? What would I look for? Or is there anything to pick up on? You know, what should I be aware of in my movements? Even is there anything in that that you would like to expand upon? Cause that's where my head is going.
1: Yeah. Well, that it's, we could go so many places when, yeah, that. I know. <laughs> and so, yes. Um, let's see, where should we start? Um, we'll start I think it was the first question of what else could be contributing to pelvic floor tightness. And yes, it's a lot. um, It's core work, you know, people who are obsessed with doing, you know, crunches and planks and all of that stuff. Now I'm not saying quick, quick caveat. I'm not saying don't exercise ladies and gentlemen, whoever's listening to this Um, exercise is phenomenal. And every, you know, everybody should be moving their bodies. And if you want to do a bunch of planks and sit-ups and leg lifts, do it great. And then when the exercise is done, let it go. So just because pulling your belly in and exhaling, as you do some, a move in Pilates, just as that creates this amazing core awareness for you, it's just as important to turn it off when you're back in your car, sitting at a red light. Mm -hmm. Because what's good for Pilates does not mean it's good for every second of the day and vice versa. Right. And I was guilty of that because when I became certified as a Pilates instructor, eons ago, it seems like at this point, I did that. I was the patient, everyone, before I was the practitioner. Mm -hmm. And I was the one holding my belly in all the time for a variety of reasons. I've never had a flat stomach for one. Um, And I was always super self-conscious about it. I was just one of those women that never, ever still don't have a flat stomach. So yeah, I was pulling it all the time and I was peeing all the time and I had pain in my vagina and I was like rushing to the bathroom and I was like, what is going on? And so it That was one of the tickets that allowed me to start doing little experiments on myself going, oh, wow, I don't need to do more kegels. I need to stop Kegling and actually let my belly go, which brings up a whole other slew of psycho-emotional insecurities of letting go. Um, But back to what else could be causing pelvic floor tension. Yes, holding our bellies in for one, because everyone right now, if you're listening, just go ahead and suck your belly in like suck it in tight, you feel your vagina and your butthole tighten. Like Mm -hmm. they can't not, it's just the way they're wired. Now let it go. (laughs) So, so holding your belly in is putting yourself in a kegel, which is great. If you're going to just let it go and you're doing that as an exercise, but not to be a way of life all the time. Mm
0: -hmm. So yeah,
1: that's probably the biggest thing that I see for women, especially is holding in their bellies. But then there's that unconscious tension that can come from stress. Like I mentioned before, neural upregulation. It's, it's part of your root chakra. If we're going to, you know, go there and get a little woo together on that. And so oftentimes um, root chakra issues, issues regarding money, shelter, primal security and a sense of feeling safe in the world, Um, literally the roof over your head, the food in the house. If any of those are a little iffy or something, oftentimes it can create um, a protective mechanism, like a, a shortening, tightening, guarding mechanism in that root, in the bottom of the pelvis that could over time contribute to pelvic floor tension. And then of course there's, you know, surgeries and injuries and general orthopedic things. If you've, you know, torn a torn the labrum in your hip, or if you, um, you know, like I, when I was a gymnast back in the day, I was doing a turn on the beam and I lost my footing and I straddled the beam and landed so hard on my pubic bone. Mm -hmm. It was bruised, like an eight-year-old pubic bone bruised was so sad to see. I still remember it, um, and and i think that was one of the injuries that pro- created a propensity to holding down there because it's painful um you know, if, if, if you had a baby and you tore a little bit, that can cause pelvic floor tension. If you've had a UTI, which I don't know any woman who has never had a UTI at some point in her life, the pain and the infection and the inflammatory response in and around the urethra can create pelvic floor spasms. And mm. even though you take the antibiotics and every the in- infection goes away, the holding pattern of the pelvic floor might not go away because your body is programmed for survival and it's going to remember painful things. And so you've now got this pocket of memory in your brain through the nervous system going vagina, scary close, Mm -hmm. right? Because you had a UTI. And so those are very common um, reasons why um, pelvic floor, pelvic floors can become tight.
0: So interesting. It makes so much sense. And yet it's crazy that I haven't ever thought of it in that way. Like to talk, I'm learning so much just hearing you talk about this. And yet it does all make sense from my understanding of the body and my body and just in what you're talking about. But it also reminds me of how it's so important that women don't ignore things that their body is speaking to them about. And kind of like you were saying earlier, to think that oh yeah, it, this is normal. Or I, I don't even remember the examples you were giving, but um, like that the it's normal maybe to not be able to, well, to urinate s- several times in an hour, like you said, or other things that you might think like, oh yeah, that just happens. Or, or yeah, I'll have a little bit of pain when I put a tampon in or things that we just maybe brush off. So hopefully this is a conversation that if you're listening and you're like, yeah, well, maybe that's not something that is that needs to be like uh, perpetuating you know it's there to be uh, a nudge for me a message to me but it's not necessarily my best state that you know could could be (laughs) that my body could be in if there's something that I can support there.
1: Absolutely absolutely it's 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 a shame it's sad that Um, women across this country, I can't speak for other countries, but here in America, so much of what we experience is brushed off, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, well, it's related to your period, you know, or, oh, if you just had a baby or, oh, you've had five babies. Yeah, they're all 40 now, but it doesn't matter. Like there's, there's so many ways for medicine to brush off things for women because we are so cyclical right? Back to the theme for you and your business too. Mm -hmm. And these cyclical natures, whether it's weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually is something that men don't traditionally experience. And so it's, it's, it's much more difficult to diagnose. And so that being said, with other symptoms, you know, like if you're on a five day period cycle, right, you're using tampons three, four, five times a day. And once or twice in that cycle, it's a little painful when you put it in. Yeah. Okay. Whatever, you know, but I'm talking about like, no, every single day it's painful to have sex or it's painful to pee or something. Then yes, there's, that's not normal. (laughs) That is not normal when something is not cyclical. Right. Yeah. Cyclical is the norm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, It is sad. And it's a great way for a woman to listen to the whispers, is what I call it of the body. I'm always telling my gals listen to the whispers and your body won't have to yell.
0: Yeah. Love it. I have a side question that you just made me think of and what you were just saying in regards to um, when women are menstruating and they may be using either a tampon or a menstrual cup. And so basically, you have something inside of your vagina how does that how have you seen that have any implication or effect on the way that our muscles either tense or relax in that area have you seen anything in practice in that i'm just curious
1: that's an interesting question um i have not seen any Maybe you haven't yeah. cons of, about that um No, the vagina itself, the walls are very um, malleable for lack of a better word. They're very resilient, meaning they can expand and contract Mm -hmm. um, to allow things in and out. Um, But no, in the way the pelvic floor functions, that's not something that I've come across in my practice yet. And seeing that it works better or worse with people who wear um, internal period things like tampons and cups versus like pads or reusable underwear that just let it flow out.
0: Yeah. I Mm -hmm. was curious because I was thinking of that analogy you gave earlier about like holding in your abdominal muscles during Pilates and then being able to let it go. And I wondered like, is there, um, something that we have as like a reflex within the vagina that if something's there, it's like, we tend to like, okay, hold it versus letting it relax kind of thing. But I just was curious. So that's interesting to hear yeah. you know hear your perspective on that through practice and that that's not necessarily something that you've noticed which I think is probably helpful in that mm-hmm. way but maybe something to think about or something to look into if anyone listening has noticed that within themselves I'd be curious to hear as well um, yeah I think
1: is individual. Like some yeah. women really want to use the menstrual cup, for example, but for some reason it just doesn't work for them. It, it is a little uncomfortable yeah. or, um, something versus other women just don't want to wear tampons. You know, they just, mm-hmm. they don't like the string. They don't like whatever. And so it, it's, I think it's more y- uniquely up to the person up to the individual as to what works for them.
0: Yeah. -hmm. And in your amazing guidebook that you have, that's again going to be linked in the show notes here, you do talk about how to heal pelvic floor issues without Kegels. And I wondered if you would just share maybe one or two of them here, so that those listening can start to wrap their heads around, like, well, what would I, what do I do next? You know, not that you were saying that doing that approach is all bad. It's just in the context of who it is and what it's for and how you're doing it, but. What are some other ways to think about and healing those issues without kegels?
1: Yes. Um, I would say the number one thing for all women to start practicing is letting your belly go. Mm. It, It sounds so simple. It's like, oh, just let it go. But I'm telling you girls, like there is so much wrapped up and why we're holding our bellies in that it could create a flood of, you know, emotions and fears and, yeah. um, you know, just, but it's beautiful because it's an opportunity to really see what's there. And so like, I, I don't know if I actually put this in the book, but I tell people all the time. So suck it in for a picture,
0: right? Suck it in for whatever, and then let it go. <laughs> yeah. It'd be so um, interesting that body awareness piece too, just to just to notice, like, even as you were talking about it, I was, my attention was directed down to my abdomen just for a moment. Like, how does it feel? You know, am I relaxed there? Am I holding? And you just feel the difference of, you do. even if you tense and then relax, I think helps because then you feel that contrast.
1: Absolutely. And I'll walk people through that as well. You know, yeah. I'll say, you know, you know, e- whether they're starting tense or not, whether they know it, I'll say, start tensing. Right. So people see, and you kind of wake up the nervous system going, yes, tension on, that's what this mm-hmm. feels like. So then you have something to compare it to when you let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I tell people to set an alarm to go off on your phone for an hour. So just set a timer for one hour and then let it go, go live your life. And then when that timer goes off, you check in,
0: mm-hmm.
1: relax your belly and mm-hmm. see if, again see if you can feel how that relaxes your vagina and your butthole also. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's ultimately the goal is to build that body awareness specifically in the pelvic floor. And I use the belly to get to the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more you start that looking and the observational skills start to get practiced more. Wow. That was terrible grammar. Um, Your you'll become more aware when the tension is building. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for uh, two or three days, I encourage women to start, th- use that timer, that one hour timer to force your nervous system to get into the habit of checking it. Mm-hmm. And then once that is better, I throw in, relax your jaw and your boobs as well. <laughs> mm, because nice. your, the jaw is another um, huge uh, Point of tension in the body, mm-hmm. and the correlation between TMJ jaw pain and pelvic floor spasms and tightness is like ninety percent.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: insane mm-hmm. how highly correlated pelvic floor tension and teeth clenching or jaw tension is. So, when that alarm goes off, you just relax your jaw, relax your boobs, relax your belly, relax your butthole, relax <laughs> your abdomen. yeah, and Let just like hang there. And in your head, count to 10. Well, just keep everything in that deflated, if you will, heavy, soft, squishy state. Count to 10, restart the timer, get on with your life. And the more you practice doing that, not only are you stopping the, the, the daily rev, right? For our nervous systems, but you're starting to get in touch with your body and starting to get to know what your body feels like when it's tense versus relaxed. And developing the habit of checking in in general, because life's going to happen, right? And so having a tool to allow you to check in and feel that and prevent the skyrocketing of the stress response in the body is extraordinary. So yeah, the jaw, the belly, telling you, it's probably the number one best thing that you can do for yourself is to check in and let that go.
0: Yeah. And putting that reminder in place, like you said, it's so it's simple and that's what you need to get into a rhythm with something. And, you know, maybe you'll always have it because it won't just be a natural thing you go to for a while. But I think after a while, once we have those reminders and have those rhythms in place, then we do start to just naturally lean that direction. And you made me think too of breath work and how expanding the belly On the inhale and then letting go on the exhale, like how much that has helped me with being able to basically let my abdominal muscles go and just allow my belly to expand out and like see that expansion. You know, it's kind of amazing how much it can expand when you fill with breath in your lungs and allow it to. So just as a side note, and there's been past episodes on breath work, so that could be helpful too.
1: I listened to that episode on breath work actually. Yes.
0: Um, yes, And awesome. I,
1: yes, breath work is another excellent tool for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, primarily when you get into the habit, when you start to feel the difference between your belly being on and your belly being off, the next phase that I teach is to now enhance that offness through your breath and your breath breathing uh, techniques. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, I have women often put a hand on their chest and put a hand on their belly and just breathe, right? Don't change anything yet, but just breathe. And not only does the patterning start to move more to a belly or diaphragmatic breath, but the breathing rate, your respiratory rate starts to decrease as well, because there's that essence of mindfulness. That's another big ticket item that I teach is, is mindful breathing. And Simply allowing your brain a moment to focus on something that's happening automatically in the body without you having to do anything like breathing Mm -hmm. is so incredibly soothing to the nervous system that it's been one of the best tools that I have given women with pelvic floor spasms, with headaches, with jaw pain, um, pretty much any chronic ailment. And it's just, it it takes it away. It's really, really incredible. So yeah, breathing is excellent. Not not only for the actual diaphragm, diaphragmatic input that it gives to the pelvic floor, because every time you inhale low into your belly and you allow your belly button to move away from your spine, Mm -hmm. as you inhale, you create this pressure in the pelvic bowl that allows your pelvic floor muscles to soften and lengthen and relax. And then when you exhale, it pulls it back up into a ever so slightly contracted state, but we want it that way that helps keep things in. Um, And so breathing is an incredible way to keep your pelvic floor muscles um, in check (laughs) and relaxed.
0: That's so good. Thanks for explaining that too. I, I know there's things in here that are just real practical things to walk away with too for everyone listening. So, I love that I have a better understanding of this whole topic which we had spoke earlier that is also really crazy to me how having my bachelor's in exercise physiology and then masters in kinesiology like that I really didn't have education much about the pelvic floor in mine and and you also noted just in your physical therapy work then you you didn't have as much, it, it was like a small portion that you had on, uh, specifically pelvic floor, or did you even mean with women's menstrual health and all of those issues? Like it was a, a mini course essentially. In that, It wasn't right? even a mini course. Jenny. Not even I, like a mini session. Yeah. It, that's I mind did. blowing. Like it's yeah. a whole part of both of these where, I mean, yes, I, we talked about, um, in exercise physiology, just like small parts of things in pregnancy to be aware of, you know, contraindications, but that was like the extent of it. It, You'd think that with everything surrounding movement and healthy movement for the human body, that how much the pelvis and the pelvic floor muscles are involved in that, that that would have been a major topic. And it kind of reminds me of how a lot of times in medicine, in the world in general, women's health issues are often pushed to the side, ignored, or there's just not as much attention put there, or it's kind of pushed off as something that is just part of it. It's just part of being a woman. (laughs) I feel like that's oftentimes spoke about in that way too. And that's what really irks my gherkin or whatever that phrase is, is because
1: just because we're not, you know, um, yeah, there's so much that is just written off because you're a woman. And that really irritates me. And
0: that's why I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing <laughs> and talking <laughs> about what you are and that and sort of leads into my next question, which is one that I always ask the wild femme episode guests, which is, do you have a cycle or a rhythm in your life that you anchor to whether that's menstrual cycle, moon phases, seasons, and what does that look or feel like for you?
1: Yeah. I, I'm definitely in tune with my menstrual cycle. I can feel when I'm about to ovulate. I feel the day I ovulate and I can feel like right when I'm going to start, I'm pretty regular. I'm almost completely synced with the moon almost every, every now and then it gets a little wonky. Um, But yeah, I'm, that I'm in tune with, I have noticed, um, there was a long phase of my life where I did not exercise like at all. It was terrible. Um, but now that I've gotten back into exercising, I have noticed that I do go through cycles of how my body feels when I'm doing certain things. So my exercise routine now consists primarily of walking. I've got a lot of Hills in my area. So I do a lot of Hills and, um, maybe a little bit of like a self-induced yoga kind of Pilates on the floor mat work. But I've noticed that there are certain days or weeks where things are flowing and things feel great. And there are other days where I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to roll around on the floor today because I can just feel something is not wanting that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I don't know if that, if there's a lunar correlation or if that's more of a, it seems more than a, a 29 day cycle it seems more maybe seasonal or, or quarterly so whether it's actually seasons or it's something in the celestial bodies um, that I don't know enough about there could be something there that but yes I do notice this theme of of cycles everywhere in my life sometimes I'll I'll be ravenous and I'll eat a ton like this week I ate so many carbs and so much you know just, Amazing delicious food like pastas and breads. And but I never felt bloated. I never, you know, it never upset my stomach and I felt great. Where and then there's other days where I might eat an apple with peanut butter all day and I'm just not hungry at all. And and so anyway, I could go on and on and I won't, but one of the best things I've done for myself is really get in tune with my body and let it guide me and what it wants not necessarily what my head wants or what diet is popular now or whatever. It's not, you know, I'm going to eat when I'm hungry and I'm going to sleep when I'm tired. And I'm going to exercise when I'm in the mood to exercise and I'm going to do what I want, what my body wants. So sometimes I'll only intend to go for a walk. And then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to run this. I feel, I feel like running. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this. And that was the theme for a while for like two and a half months. And then one day it was like, yeah, running's done. Running's done for now. Let's just stick to walking. We're going to go up and down the hills. (laughs) Yeah. And just letting that be my guide has been so freeing. And I feel healthier that way. It feels like I'm really giving my body what it wants when it wants it.
0: It sounds like flow and that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Are you moving your body today? And if so, what's that look like? Yes.
1: I have fallen in love with my morning sunrise walk. It's pretty Uh, much sunrise. Um, almost every morning where I roll out of bed and I put a hat on and go, um, and I, I love it. That's, that's, that's a, a definite. And then the other moving my body that I've been doing lately is, um, pulling the lovely weeds from my yard. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I turn it into an exercise where I squat down and I you know pull a few and then I stand up and I throw them away and then I squat so it's a great great glute exercise.
0: <laughs> we all need more of those practical life movements, you know mm-hmm. uh, especially if you sit at a computer a lot or have a lot of commuting time at you're sitting it's just we have to look for ways to just move in life and does yeah. not not just that exercise bout of half an hour or an hour or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, movement is so essential. Oh yeah. What's one thing that you do most days for your health?
1: I um well I do my daily walk um yeah. which is a good 30 to 30 to 60 minutes depending on the day. Um I meditate every day whether it's just two or three minutes, cause that's all I have time for, or it's a good dedicated hour, hour and a half. Um, that, has, that is one of the most essential things that I've learned to do for myself as a ritual of, of self-care um, is, is, is doing nothing, is being productive by doing nothing. Was a concept. It took me a very long time to wrap my head around. But I started to see again with all the women I was treating, and all of this neural upregulation. I started to see myself in them, and they were these mirrors to me—these beautiful mirrors yeah. of Nikki. You need to stop too, like me. Chill out, you know. Maybe you should do some mindful breathing, Nikki. <laughs> so yeah. that's something that if if a day or two goes by and I haven't done some of my own mindful breathing. I start to feel myself getting irritable and eating more sugar and not sleeping as well. And, and so that's essential for my mental health, which feeds my physical health.
0: Yeah. I can so relate. (laughs) And last question, what does wild mean to you?
1: Ooh, to me, wild means free.
0: You are not the first person that said that. That's amazing. Really? Yeah. That's, um, it's recently someone else uh, shared that that means free to them. What, what does free mean to you? Go ahead and expand upon that. If there was something else you were going to share.
1: Yeah. I just, I get this essence, like this image of a woman, like throwing, taking her hat off or taking her shirt off. Right. And just like throwing it to the wind and like, like breasts exposed, hair thrown back, you know, like looking at the ocean and just being free to, wear what she wants, scream, laugh, you know, just really transcend her physical body into this expansive, um, unlimited way of being and letting all of that be beautifully perfect, whether it's, you know, ecstatic joy or it's the depths of grieving and sorrow, like just that full range of freedom to be and act and feel without shame or judgment.
0: Yes. that, that part at the end that you added, that's what was going through my mind. Like that I was getting from your description the whole time. It's like doing that, but without the shame or judgment or just that holding back of like, what's someone else thinking of me or what are they, you know, what's, um, what's that judgment coming my way. I love how you described that. And if you're not watching the video, (laughs) she was definitely showing us what that looked like too, which was so fun. Cause it's like you embody what you're, what you're feeling, you know? And it's like, I think that helps. It's a lot of what we've been talking about actually as to how we embody certain feelings and we feel things through our body. I guess even it can go the other way around. Maybe we sense it in our body first and, it brings us to an emotion that we didn't know was there or we're feeling something and then we feel it in our body. And I think just that exchange of communication is so important. And like you said, doing it without judgment even of ourselves of like, if we are feeling a certain way to be able to fully express it or to let it move through us without that, like, that question that's popped up in my mind a lot in the past and this still does from time to time, like what's wrong with me, you know, or, you know, cause maybe it's just that there's nothing wrong with you, my dear. It's that this is part of your human experience, you know, and kind of allowing all of that, no matter what it is, like you said, the full range of experiences and emotions as difficult and amazing as that can be. <laughs> it is difficult and
1: I believe it is the ticket to really am- being a fully embodied woman and being a wild woman. Yes, And one of the reasons it's so difficult to do is because it has been suppressed for so many generations. I mean, if you look back before, um, I don't know. I always use Jesus's time and I'm not blaming Jesus. Jesus was an incredible man. Um, But around that time, you know, is when it became less of a matriarchal society and more of a patriarchal society. And it used to be, there was a time back in the day where this wild goddess woman, right? Of like in nothing but a little toga was the most revered, beautiful emblem of life itself. Mm -hmm. And I know we can get back there or at least, tap into that well, and let it infuse us. And I, it, I, I'm still on the journey. I'm, I've been on this journey for a while, and I'm still learning new things about me. And like you said, learning to tap into my body as a, a, a little a cookie crumb, right, as to what is there to help guide me along that journey is, it's essential. And so connecting to your body is a way to get to know, oh, there is something there that needs to be worked on. And then having the courage to work on that. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it just continues to, and continues to cycle. Um, so yes, I think every woman's birthright is to be wild in some way. And it's just a matter of discovering what that looks like for yourself.
0: Thank you so much for everything you shared. <laughs> is there anything I didn't ask you that you're just bursting to leave listeners and those viewing with?
1: No, I think I got, yeah, most of the the things that I'm most passionate about, which is, you know, getting in touch with your body and loving it. um, No matter what size you are or what the scale says, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. If you are happy and healthy, it doesn't matter what you like, and, and so, and letting go of the preconceived notions of what you are supposed to be, or what you think you should be, or what you've been told you should be, and really just honoring who you are. And I think so much of that goes into letting your belly go Mm
0: -hmm.
1: is what brings up a lot of the shoulds and the shouldn'ts for a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And so if there's anything, you know, my, 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 my gift to you listeners is start down that journey because it is a journey. It's that will come back tenfold to you in the tiniest, best little ways.
0: Thank you, Dr. Nikki. Thank you to those listening, watching. I appreciate you sharing this episode with someone who you think it might inspire, be helpful to, and for everything we talked about in this episode, including where you can connect with today's guest, just head to the show notes that you see linked here where you're listening, and until we chat again, go live your one wild life.